Hello, and welcome to Once More With Feelings, a podcast where we talk about die and our feelings. I'm Christina. And I'm Kate. And today we're talking about die number one. Yes, we are. A little bit of a departure. This is turning into like a Kieran Gillen writes podcast. Kind of. I mean, like, honestly, I would have a Jason Aaron writes podcast if I had time. So like, it's not out of the norm. That needs to be on the list for comics we can go through. (laughs) Next time we'll talk about Jason Aaron's works. But right now we're talking about the new comic from the writing talent of Kieran Gillen from Wicked and Divine fame. And the drawing talent of Stephanie Hans from so many things. Yep. Apparently, though, this is her first full comic that she has signed on for before she tends to do covers or one shots. Mm -hmm. She worked with Kieran on Journey into Mystery, which I feel like that's up both our alleys. You with the Thor thing and me with the I just enjoy that kind of thing. Her artistic talent comes out in full force in this issue. Yeah. All of her art is spectacular, and it's so, it's just so pretty. Emerald City is the next con we're going to. I need to see if she's there or what con she'll be at so I can just buy a lot of prints. Same. Yeah. If she's there, I'm going to be like, hello, yes, where's your art? Give me your art. Yep. That or the image booth, and just bug the image booth, even if they don't have prints. Like, well, create them and bring them here. Well, give me them. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Where are they? (laughs) So we're talking about Die Issue 1. This came out last week. Yep. Or, well... I don't know when you're listening to this. Doesn't matter. We're going to start off talking about the party. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is a pun. It is. Because there's a party, but we also get to meet the party. This entire comic is all puns. Let's be real. It is. It's just double meanings and puns. Yep. Kieran just realized, oh, I can make so many puns and double meanings from this. I'm going to do all of it. Yeah. Like the name of the goddamn comic, Christina. You're not wrong. So we're starting off, it's 1991. We're in a suburb in England, somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we have two characters are walking towards, we sort of get the exposition. The main character is going to his friend Solomon's house. It's both of their birthdays. They share a birthday. It's both of their 16th birthday. I have a question. Which parent in the 80s names their kid Solomon? Freaking apparently Solomon's. We meet his mom immediately. It's a weird name choice. I guess, Yeah. But so we have Dominic and Angela, who are siblings, Mm -hmm. are going to Solomon's house. They meet his mom, who apparently is just a bourbon biscuit dispensing machine. She reminds me a little bit of the mom from Mean Girls. I don't know why. (laughs) I love the mom from Mean Girls. (laughs) So they're going to play a game, Mm -hmm. the specifics of which we don't know what. Yep. And they're going upstairs and Angela really wants to be a cyberpunk, like, That is her thing. She's younger and she's latched on to like, I just want to be a cyberpunk. This is awesome. And there's actually a thing that comes later. And I have a question about that when it pops up regarding the cyberpunk. But sure. And her brother really, Ash, is his nickname, I guess, because of his last name. Yeah. He's like, I don't know what we're playing. Like, he just made this game for my birthday, which is nice. And Angela's only coming because their dog died and she's depressed. Yeah. And it got her to stop crying. So he's being a good brother, though he's saying, I would have been a better brother if I hadn't done this. Yeah, which clues us in that this is sort of like a hindsight narration. Like, this is a memory. Yeah. Also, I want to pay attention to the lighting here, because the way Solomon in particular is lit on this page, and then also their one friend who seems to be like a bit of a stereotypical jerk. Chuck. Yeah. Chuck. 
Like, the name is pretty self-descriptive, I think. Dominic even goes into not actually American for all his pretensions. So apparently Chuck has a tendency to act like a traditional American frat boy. Mm -hmm. There is a stereotype for that. And he's immediately creeping on Angela. We don't actually know how old Angela is. But younger. Yeah. So anywhere between 12 to 14. Well, maybe even 15. Yeah. Hard to say. So there's Chuck, who is pretentious, or uh, not necessarily pretentious, but just kind of, you know, a dick. John Belushi and Animal House. With Coke swapped for sherbet. We have Matthew, the only black kid in the Midlands metal crowd, who seems to be, like, a more reasonable person, and has been, in a way, fighting for Solomon's position as Dominic's best friend. Not literally fighting for it, but... Dominic says, I'd become better friends with him since I'd been seeing less of Saul. Yeah. And Saul, he's been seeing less of because of Isabel, who is the French foreign exchange student, I guess. No, she's adopted. She's just French. Yeah, she's just a transfer. And aggressive. Yep. And immediately starts calling Dominic Gaylord of the Ass Rings. Yeah. So that leads to the question, is Dominic actually gay and Isabel's mocking him for it? Or does she think that this is an insult? I think it's the 90s insult. I mean, very possible. And then we meet Solomon. He's basically focused on this game. He's not really, like, trying to control his friends. Uh-huh. He's just kind of like, guys, let's get to the game. You're all going to love it. I know that feeling. I do want to point out Chuck, though, they say he's... The only black kid in the mid- Matthew. Matthew, excuse me. He's smart, and I guess he's into metal, but he's also just very preppy. Like, he has, like, a collared shirt and a sweater. Yeah, he's, like, straight edge. Yeah, he's straight edge, but I guess super into metal, which is kind of great. You know? It happens. Yeah, it does. And it was 1991. We were arrogant RPG elitist with a younger sister who really wanted to be a cyberpunk. So, they're friends that just- really enjoy gaming and that's something that both of us can relate to yep that's why we're reading this comic it is why we're reading this comic christina and i play in multiple games together christina how many DD games are you playing right now i'd rather not say guys i think it's at least eight it's more than eight it's more than you can count on one hand and we'll stop there <laughs> and He's like, you don't get it. This isn't something off of the shelf, out of the box. This is Thomas Covenant. This is RPG Watchmen. Hell, this is Gormenghast, which I looked up Gormenghast and now I kind of want to read it. It's a 50s fantasy novel. And Isabel calls him on like, you haven't even read that, you poser. Yeah. Watchmen came out in the 80s, right? Yes. Okay. You have no idea how good this will be. This is fantasy for grownups. And apparently everyone was sold because when you're 16, that's what you want. You want to be grown up. And honestly, Dominic is so, he's talking about this. This is a game he made. This is something that he's crafted. Yeah, Solomon made it somehow. Yeah. This is a game that he designed for them. And he's like, no, this is my masterpiece is kind of how he's selling it. Yeah. Like he also made it specifically because it was Dominic's birthday. Yeah. It was a birthday party. Yes. We said that earlier. We made that joke already. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make it again. Okay, so they each get to make a freeform character in usually like in a Dungeons and Dragons style game. There's specific roles that you have to fulfill. Mm -hmm. And in this, it seems that anything is possible. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. I've played games like this before. There is a game system called Mutants and Masterminds. Oh, yeah. 
There's a game system called Mutants and Masterminds where everybody is like a superhero and you don't so much pick archetypes like you do in Dungeons and Dragons, like rogue or fighter. You pick powers that you have and you get to flavor them however you want. Yep. You have a number of points you can spend and you can pick multiple powers. So it sounds like this is sort of the same thing. But even looser, like it's just the DM works with you to figure this out. Right. So they figure out what they're doing, talking about how Solomon was always the golden child. Like, he was always the creative one. He was always the good, perfect one. But this was something else, apparently. This was, like, above and beyond. Yeah. And Dominic says, I love that he made it for me. Part of me still does. Also, like, you can see through the window, the paper just strewn all over the floor. Like, there's not even a map out. It's just they're all writing and creating. And it's probably all of Solomon's notes, too. Just everywhere. Probably. So then Solomon brings out the dice. Special sauce. There's a box. It's like a fancy box with like a velvet cup for the dice or whatever. It's like, it's super sort of pretentious. Yeah, I mean, this is stuff that we've seen sold, but it like, in the 90s, this would have been custom made. There wasn't like a market for it like there is now. And also, these are bigger than standard dice. They're like, they're made out of metal. Like, this is a special occasion. Yeah, they're like really nice. Solomon's clearly put a lot of effort into it. Yep, and there are six dice for the six players. Well, yes. Yeah. They're missing one of the D10s, but I guess you don't need both if you don't need percentile. Yeah. And then we go to the next page, which is this gorgeous spread. Like, I love it. Um, If you're reading this via PDF, I really recommend getting the print version because the PDF does not do this page justice. And we start with Ash, as we know him currently. My character is kind of a diplomat with teeth. She's like a cross between Cleopatra and Machiavelli. What a cross. Yeah, I like it. He's called the dictator and he gets a D4. That is also a pun. Yep. I'm so mad about that because it's like dictation, but also the dictator. Yep. I'm so frustrated, but there's so many puns. And the next is... Matt. I'm sorry. We both watch Critical Role. And so every time I think Matt, I'm going to think Matt Mercer. Well, then call him Matthew, if you will. Yeah. And so Matt wants to be a magical warrior, turning emotions into power, metal and goth. I like that power idea, too. Like the emotions into power thing. Like that would be a fun mechanic. Yeah. And so he becomes the grief knight and he gets the D8. And then we go to Ash's sister, who's like, I'm a cyberpunk. Angela knows what she wants. She's here for one thing. I want to be a cyberpunk. I've been here this entire time. And this is the thing I had a question about. Of course, you are Neo. Yeah. D10, the only one. When did Matrix come out? I don't think the Matrix came out until 2000. Let me look that up. Hold on. Yeah. So this is 91. Why is he saying Neo? Was it like written? Was it a comic? No, the Matrix wasn't really like based off any direct source material. And the Matrix came out in 1999. I mean, Neo might have pre-existed in the cyberpunk genre, because the cyberpunk genre goes back a lot further than The Matrix. The Matrix is just one of the more popular examples of it. True. The name probably pre-existed, because Neo just means new. So there's also that double meaning. All of these names have double meanings, as we'll find out. Yeah. Because Neo is new, and Andrew is the one person here who is new. She is, like... She's the newest. Yeah. You want to know how I know Neo means new? How? Sailor Moon. Of course. Neo Tokyo is New Tokyo, and that's the kingdom of Sailor Moon. So yeah, 
Now that we've done with my nerdiness, would you like to continue? Sure. So we then have Isabel, who is an atheist with gods for pets. I like it. And she says, oh, God, I'm going to hell. And she describes this character. And she is called Godbinder and gets the D12. So she's going to be the one who probably does the most damage, in theory. She might be the tank, who knows. But then there is Chuck, who just said, I just picked some random abilities. I'm just going to have fun. And he just gets called Fool and gets the D6. Of course, there's only one die of each. And the D20 is to Solomon. This picture of him, like, weaning down to pick the D20 out of the case is terrifying. His face? Yeah. The shading on his face, it's like, ooh, disturbing. It's very Joker-esque. Yeah. So let's take a second to go sort of through the significance of these dice as we know them, coming from like a Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder standpoint. I mostly just play Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't done a lot of other systems. I think you've probably done more systems than me, but I could be wrong. I've played a lot of D20 games. I've also played some ones that are just D6 games. Different game systems use different amounts of dice. The only one that really uses all six, that's the most popular anyway, is Dungeons and Dragons. But there's also Pathfinder, which is kind of the same game. Different rules. Pathfinder, I think, is a little bit more homebrewy, if that's your thing, if you want to go a bit more off script. Well, before 5th edition, you could customize a lot more in Pathfinder than you could in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But there's also going to be Starfinder, which is the sci-fi version of Pathfinder that's coming out. Ooh. Yeah. So if you want to be in space. Because, you know, we need more games. Why not? So we have dictator, the double meaning, of course, being one who dictates, but also the person who is like the authoritative ruler. Yep. So there's sort of the double meaning there and gets the D4. Traditionally, in Dungeons and Dragons, at the very least, a D4 is like a buff or debuff die. Mm -hmm. It's what you use a lot of time for healing or helping. And also the one, especially with this character, the one spell that comes to mind is Vicious Mockery. <laughs> There's a spell in Dungeons and Dragons called Vicious Mockery where you literally mock your opponent and it hurts them. The best thing ever is when you vicious mockery someone to death. It just, ah, it's so good. Yeah. You mock them to death, but at lower levels, it only does one D4 of damage. There's actually a scene in Critical Role where Sam Regal, who is their bard, viciously mocks an underworld dwarf, I forget the name of it, a Durgar, who's trapped in a bubble of water, and he vicious mockeries him so hard, the Durgar just gulps water and dies. Yeah. I have definitely in-game mocked things to death with vicious mockery. Yeah. It's the bread and butter of bards. Yeah, it's a real fun thing for bards to do. Generally speaking, the D4, you can help people or harm people in lasting but small ways. Like, in the moment, it doesn't make a big change, but over time it can. Yep. So then we have Grief Knight, the double meaning, of course, being that we've been introduced to Matthew as super depressed. Yeah, he lost his mom. He's going through a lot of grief. Yeah. And he's always been kind of the quiet, sadder type of person. He seems just from his appearance, again, he's like apparently into metal, but he's very reserved in appearance. He's using emotions into power. He is trying to weaponize or at least take agency over the things he's feeling. Which is real interesting because a lot of times teenagers with depression or grief, it comes out as anger. Yeah. So it could be that he has pushed that down in this game. If you're using D&D as therapy, which a lot of people do, you can express this in a healthy way with friends amongst fictional characters where you can destroy them with your pain. Exactly. So that's sort of grief night. 
And he gets a D8. Mm -hmm. Like, most damage, I would say, in Dungeons & Dragons is done by the D8. It is, yeah. So, again, this sort of leads into us thinking that he's going to be doing some attacking. Just sort of from my experience, in Dungeons & Dragons at least, clerics use a lot of D8s. A lot of their spells are D8s. One of the characters I DM for Christina is a cleric. A cleric bard, even. (laughs) Yeah. Someday we'll talk about that. (laughs) So, yeah, D8s tend to be more associated with damage. Mm-hmm. And then we have Neo, again, double double meaning, of course, it's cyberpunk, but also she's the newest. And she gets a D10. Which D10s, I feel like they aren't used a whole lot unless they're used in a percentage to try to pick something by the DM in like a randomized list. But I haven't seen them used in mechanics a lot. They're not much of a mechanic dice. It's usually just spells or percentages. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be the implication here is that Neo is mostly going to be statistics based. Like it's just going to be the odds of her doing something. Or she's going to be mostly just like sort of a stand in spellcaster almost. Yeah. I mean, that also makes sense for somebody working digitally for percentages to be that. But we also don't want to necessarily impose too much of our perceptions on this game system because we haven't seen too much of it yet. Yeah. But we also know that Kieran has done a lot of RPGs in the past, so he would be familiar for what the dice usually are meant for. Yes. So we're just putting it in perspective, I guess. Then we have Isabel, Godbinder. I still really like that. I don't know if there's a double meaning to this one. There probably is, and we'll find it out. Probably. There might be a deeper double meaning here. Because Dominic, who is our narrator, doesn't seem to know Isabel that well, other than that she's aggressive. Yeah, she's aggressive in French. In French. So she is the godbinder and she gets the D12, which is, in Dungeons & Dragons, mostly associated with barbarians. Just beating the crap out of people. That's what the D12's for. I know of one spell that uses a D12, and I know of the great axe weapon that uses a D12. Yeah, Toll the Dead, I think, uses a D12. Yeah. Which is a necromancy spell, which also fits with her look. Like, that eyeliner does make me think necromancy. Fair. And also, she's apparently, like, binding gods to her service, so there's going to be some element of magic there. Yep. And then last, we have the fool. Mm -hmm. The meaning here being that apparently they kind of view him as a fool in real life. Yeah. He might be the one friend in the friend group who everyone kind of, like, ugh, is over, you know? Yeah, it sounds like he's possibly the bard type, or especially when we see him later on in life, I think bard really fits him well. Mm -hmm. He wants to be a jack of all trades, and he just wants to have fun with the game. Like, he's not taking this too seriously, which, to be fair, you need a certain amount of that when you're playing in order to have fun. Yeah. Like, so far, least heartbreaking games where we have the most fun is our bard game, where none of our bards take this very seriously. We're just all bards, and we're all just here to have a good time. Yep, that's going to come and bite us in the ass later, but it hasn't yet, so it's good. Oh, it's going to immediately. You know Chelsea. She's going to make it immediately bite us in the ass. For those of you listening, Chelsea is Christina's co-host on Cult Scripts and Conspiracies, as well as a DM for our, what we call the Battle of the Bands campaign. Yeah, that one's pretty fun. But I also feel like the name Fool here for Chuck might be a little bit of Solomon just being like, mmm. Yeah. Because Solomon knows what's about to happen. Yeah. Which that makes me question Solomon. Like, what the fuck, dude? There's a lot going on here. And that's sort of why, again, he's cast in this last panel in a malicious lighting. 
it's sort of foreshadowing he knows what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like he's calling Chuck a fool because it's like, you're not taking this seriously enough. You don't know what's about to happen. You're going to be stuck with this character. Yeah. And so he gets the D6, which is sort of a very common die. It's used in almost every game. And Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Including casinos. Yeah. You're not wrong. Board games. When most people think of a dice, they think of the six-sided dice with the black pips on it. Yes. And in Dungeons and Dragons, the D6 is associated with the lower damaged weapons, mm -hmm. simple weapons, and with a lot of like spells, like evocation spells, things that do elemental damage. Yeah. It's a pretty basic damage dice. Yeah. So that sort of gives you an idea of like going into this with the little we know where this might be going and what those dice kind of represent to somebody who's played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons before. If you aren't familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, we maybe should have mentioned this at the top. A D insert number here represents how many faces are on the side of a dice. Oh, yeah, that would have been a good thing to explain. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. We have been playing for years, so we just kind of take things. We take it for granted. Yeah, there's the 20-sided dice, the 10-sided dice, the 12-sided dice, six sides, four sides, eight sides. Those are the six types of dice there are in a standard game of this kind. Yep, so things get abbreviated as D6, D12, D whatever. Yeah. And Solomon gets the D20, and the D20 is usually regarded as the thing that's used the most in most games that involve a d20. It's what you roll to figure out what happens when you try something. Yeah. If you try to seduce someone, if you try to start a fight, if you're trying to unlock a chest with some picks, if you, like, it's the probability dice. It's the how well is this going to do dice. It's the success or failure dice. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that as the game master is the one running it, he gets to have the success or failure dice because he is the one determining what's going to happen to these people. Yep. And so we find out on the next page that Solomon, he gets to play a character too, and it's an unusual game, and he is playing the master. So he gets the 20-sided dice. And the fool says scary, and these are fancy dice, but why do we all only get one dice? To which Isabel's like, will you ever learn? Yeah, it's die. So here we go. The singular word for dice is die. Again, double meaning. I feel like, yeah, it's die might also be the magic words. Possibly. Somebody saying die. Yeah. And you see a spark of light and the D20 floats off a hand. And then I can't say what happens next. Before we move on to the next page, I just want to point out this sort of repeating motif that we have here. A little bit of foreshadowing of Solomon holding the D20 in front of his eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just putting that out. Just pointing that out. You know? Yeah, keep in mind, if any of y'all are squeamish about things to do with eyes, prepare yourself. Just a little bit of a warning. A little bit of a, a, little bit of a content warning. Yeah, because we have a friend squeamish about things regarding teeth. So I'm sure eyes is also something people get. Oh, 100%. So then we have two hours later and Solomon's mother is calling up to him. She clearly has drinks prepared. She's trying to like be like, hey, are your kids good? Do you want anything to eat or drink? Do you want snacks? She's being a good 90s mom. She's being a good 90s mom. And she goes up to Solomon's room and opens the door and just finds their papers scattered around the floor. But we don't really get to know what she sees, but presumably she finds the room empty. Yeah, that's what it looks like. And she's like, Solomon? Like, where? Where did they go? 
and also close up on her eyes. That's something that Stephanie does a lot. She's very good at eyes and very good at using those in panels to express things. Yeah. Then two years later, we go to a road. And then all of a sudden, there's kids are on the road with looks like Ash has his hands up to try to stop the car. And everyone else is, to be completely honest, they look like they're a party in a fighting stance. The way that they're silhouetted with the darkness and the way that their eyes are glowing, they look almost monstrous. Like, they look like creepy kids coming out of the woods. Yeah, they do. Like feral children. Or fairies. Like, they look like what I think of when I think of dark fairies or the classic kind of fae. Mm -hmm. They remind me of that. And this woman comes to a screech, is like, what the hell are you thinking? And she gets out and then she recognizes them, I think. We see the kids. It's Matt and Chuck and Isabel and Dominic and Angela. Solomon's not there. Yep, there's five. Where's the sixth player? Where's the sixth player? And at first I thought that behind them there was like a bush on fire, but I'm pretty sure that's just the headlights of the car reflecting off of a bush. Mm-hmm. And Dominic, the voice of them kind of says, we're lost. And this woman recognizes them. Apparently, they're called the Stafford Six, the six kids who just went suddenly missing. Yep. And this woman is panicked. She's like, whoa, but wait, like, there's only five of you. Where's the last one? And also, why is that girl missing an arm? Yep. Because Angela is missing an arm. She definitely is. And she also looks possibly a little bit older, too. They all are probably a bit older. Their clothes are beat up. Their hair is grown out a bit. Yep. They're all looking like beraggled and gaunt and tense. Yep. Like they've just been through something. Almost all of them except for Angela is holding their fist like tight and it makes me think they have something in their fist like maybe their dice. Well, Chuck doesn't seem to be either, but it definitely looks like they're ready to fight. Like they're ready for something to happen. Yeah. They're ready to fight. Chuck's one of his hands is kind of curled. It could go either way. A little bit. Yeah. No, they're ready for a fight. And- They all kind of turn to Dominic, who, when asked what happened to you, and he says, I can't say. Yep. And it looks like it hurts him to say that, too. Yeah. It's painful, and it's snowing, and it's just, like, their facial expressions make me sad for them. Like, they're all still scared and not fully sure that they're out. Right. That they're safe. Because they're going to have some serious PTSD to deal with that they can't talk about. So much therapy required. And then we jump forward to 25 years later. So if they were 16 when they started, they were 18 when they got out. So they're in their, like, early, mid-40s. Yeah, mid-40s-ish. Yeah, they're adults now. And we see Dominic looking out the window with some coffee or tea. It's the UK. It's probably tea. And happy birthday, Dominic. That's all you're getting, promise. So it's his wife bending over and giving him a kiss. And apparently... Last year or the year before, on his 40th birthday, his wife threw a party, and I didn't take it well. Yeah. She's since learned that when I say something, I mean it, which he feels bad about. Like, he's like, I feel ungrateful, but honestly, I can't deal with this. Because the last time, like, when he was 16, had a birthday party. Yeah, when someone made a fuss over his birthday last time. Yeah. He got trapped in something for two years. PTSD. And then we hear the doorbell ring and he goes to answer the doorbell and he looks worried. He looks sad, too. Yeah. He reminds me of a shut-in in in this. Yeah. And he looks very sad and it's revealed that on the other side of the door is Solomon's mother. Yep. It's been 27 years and she's asking, please, can you just tell me what happened? Like, what happened to my son? Because he never came back. So she's like, please just tell me what happened to my son. 
where's his body? Just let me bury his body. And Solomon again says, I can't say anything. And it's spaced out. He says, I can't say anything. I think that's him maybe fighting a little bit against the Gaius that we later learn is on them. Something that is preventing him from talking. Yeah, but he looks just so broken and depressed by this. And Solomon's mother immediately lashes out at him. Like, she's angry that this person won't tell her what happened to her son. So she's immediately like, you were a terrible, you were never good enough to be his friend. And Sophie just rushes in and tries to push Dominic away. Because this is clearly not the first time this has happened. Yeah. They even say, we don't want to call the police again, but we will. Like, Solomon's mother must come around frequently. Yeah, at least once a year. Like, it might have been more frequently previously, but I feel like she probably comes around on his birthday pretty often. Yeah. So he maybe knew what to expect on the other side of that door. And Sophie says, he must be dead. Don't you think if Dominic was able to speak about it, he would? Again, apparently it's been 27 years, and none of them have talked about what's happened to anyone. Yeah, which uh, Dominic must have found a pretty awesome wife to accept this and accept the trauma he has as a part of him and how much she can or can't help and still love him. Like, it looks like she's still supporting him. Yeah, and he clearly loves her as well. And the reason why Dominic doesn't like his birthday is because presents are just reminders with a makeover. Because, again, his birthday is related to very poor events, like very bad, traumatic events happening to him. He doesn't want to be reminded that it's his birthday. And we get a shot of the robe gaping open a little bit on his chest, and there is a starburst scar, like, right over his heart. Yep. Which I'm sure we'll find out how he got that. Yeah. And then we go to, he is at a bar now with his sister, Angela, and we found out that Angela has kind of made a mess of her own life. She left her husband for a woman. The woman panicked at this, left Angela, and now Angela is stuck in the middle of an awful divorce with a custody battle. They have kids. Yeah, and her life is falling apart, it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like possibly the reaction she got with this is maybe she never made the best life decisions or she sabotages shit. Yeah. And then also apparently she is a coder, which... She's a game developer. Mm-hmm. Which her brother doesn't understand considering she was a cyberpunk in this other world, and it's too close to a reminder for him. He can only imagine to how much of a reminder it is for her. Right. Yep, and so she makes a joke saying, like, whenever he asks how she can be a coder, she says by typing very slowly and waves her stump around. So Angela clearly has at least a good sense of humor about it. Yeah. And she's not avoiding it like Dominic is, but she is sort of, in a way, sabotaging her own life. Yeah. I mean, her getting laid off when the game ships is not her fault, but still... That's, I think, a common thing with some of these places is they'll hire coders for a single game. Yeah. And then you go and have to find a new game to be hired for. So Angela's like, can you give me a bright side, Dominic? And he's like, Soul's mom leaves you alone mostly. And we have wine. So that's what they're celebrating is a minimum of harassment and wine. The Ash Party, yes. And somebody shows up. Well, it's the bartender. It is who realizes that this is the Ash party, Dominic and Angela Ash, and gives them a box that says happy birthday on it. Yeah, which Ash is panicked about, or Dominic. Yeah, it was delivered earlier. We don't know by whom. And Dominic immediately opens it and is horror-stricken. The look on his face is just like one of disbelief, almost. 
And he's honest with his sister when his sister asks, are you okay? And he's like, no. Oh, yeah. But he's very frank about it. He just says no. And he's opening it anyway. This present. This reminder. Also, can we talk about how good Stephanie is with faces still? Like, that face that Dominic makes. All of her art's gorgeous. Yep. And on the page, we see reminders. And it is a blood-soaked, possibly metal or mirrored dye. And it has just blood either dripping from it or dried on it. And Dominic's horrified face is reflected back in it. In a box very much like the one that we saw Saul have at the beginning of the comic. This isn't just any die. This is what we assume is Solomon's D20. Yeah, it's a D20 die. Dominic gets up like, who brought this? Was it an old woman, late 60s, early 70s? So he's thinking, is it his mom? Is it Saul's mom? Yeah, did Solomon's mom give this to me? Yep. And the bartender's like, it was on the doorstep. I thought the postie left it. Are you okay? What's wrong? To which Dominic says, I can't say. He's saying, I can't say. Like, it's clear he knows it's wrong. So it's not that he can't say in that he doesn't know it's i can't say in that i literally cannot tell you yep also his sister looks like horrified as well so they run out into the rain and this is such a gorgeous page the lighting and the colors and everything Mm -hmm. they run out into the rain angela's just kind of like what are we gonna do what do you think and immediately dominic throws the box down from a tree picks up a rock and is going to smash it I can't blame him. That probably would have been the smart thing. Maybe, yeah. But as we all know, in D&D, we don't often make smart decisions. No. And Dominic stops, and he's either crying or the rain is making it look like he's crying. Or both. Or both. And you see a red umbrella hit the ground next to his sister's feet. And she's like, it's okay, you can do it. He's like, no, I can't make this decision. We have to tell the others. They gotta get the band back together. And once again, he's being the diplomat. He's like, I can't do this unilaterally. I need input. Yeah. So they all get together. Everybody gets together in apparently Chuck's place. So before they were meeting at Solomon's place for the original party, because Solomon's house had two bathrooms, and that was seen as like, wow, it's so big. Fancy. Fancy. Now, 25 years in, we're at Chuck's house, which is massive. I'm willing to bet it has more than two bathrooms, he says. (laughs) And Angela remarks, like, she can't talk about it. She can't talk about it. But how does Chuck do what he does is the question. Yep. And Chuck is made good, apparently, somehow. Yeah. This is where I think Chuck fits into the bard category in real life. He seems to have become a storyteller. And he does that. He's able to tell these stories by never letting it get too real and not thinking too much. Mm -hmm. And immediately Chuck opens the door. He's excited to see them, and he's like, hey, welcome to the house that the Portal of Pain film deal has bought. So he's either written a book or something. He's just gotten a film deal about these stories, Portal of Pain. Yep. So it sounds like he might be harvesting what he can tell or, like, the inspiration from their adventures and selling it. Yeah, it sort of seems, especially from, like, the giant poster that's in the foyer of this house, that Chuck is taking inspiration from what they went through. And is making it into a story. Yep. Because Portal of Pain, that's like an elf with a dragon behind them. It's clearly a high fantasy kind of setting. Yeah. And Dominic's like, are we late? And apparently everyone else is already here. Fiona has bust open the fizz and canapes. So Chuck's making this into a party. Chuck also has a wife that's like 20 years younger than him. Yeah. 
And this is not apparently Chuck's first wife. She looks nerdy. The way her hair is, the way her glasses are, she looks nerdy. If he's writing high fantasy stories, that makes sense. Yeah, but she's also very attractive. Apparently, Fiona reminds Chuck a bit of a girl they went to school with. And Chuck just doesn't know who this girl's name is. It's like, hey, that girl we called Fitzo. Yeah, he never learned her name. Dominic did. Yep. And Chuck's telling Dominic, like, hey, you're still marketing. You should bid for the contract for the next book. So he's, like, basically telling Dominic, hey, so uh, the other people who are bidding for my next book aren't so great. Your company should try to jump on this. Yeah. Dominic has never read anything Chuck's written or seen more than the trailer for Portal of Pain. He trying to keep it all away. He's trying to. He says, I only viewed everyone's lives at a distance. He's not trying to get too close. Because what happened last time they were too close? So Chuck opens the door and says, hey, the par- the gang's back together, stumbling over trying to say the party's back together. Maybe that's too close to home. Or maybe it's something that they can't actually say. Yeah. So we see Isabel. They've both grown up, Isabel and Matt, who are in this room. Isabel is now teaching English Lit at a secondary school, so like at a high school equivalent. Yep. And Matt teaches statistics at a local university, so they've both become teachers. Which is interesting. And Dominic is at least happy to see Matt, because apparently they're still close. And they're talking about Matt's family, asking like, oh, how's things been? And it's revealed that it's been five years since they last spoke. At least. Barring his sister, if the closest one in the group that Dominic is close to is Matt, then he's pushed all of them away because it's been five years since they talked. Yeah. And he's pushed all of them away probably because all of them are reminders. Yeah. Chuck comments that they're all looking old because they're all in their 40s now. Mm-hmm. And then Isabel comes up to Dominic looking apologetic. Yep. And Steph also does this thing with the panels a lot where it's like some kind of scene and then panels on top of the scene at the bottom and then like another panel kind of the other way on top of that panel. Like she does this kind of layout a lot, which I do like. Yeah. I like the way it flows and I like how it's a little bit unstructured, but that's just something I've been noticing and it's going to be interesting to see how it gets played with later. And so Isabel says, I want to apologize. I was far from my best back then. I was not sufficiently, as the students would put it, woke. So that makes me think she was using Gaylord as the insult. Yeah. She was just being a dick and she acknowledges it. Yep. So Dominic is trying to deflect. I think in this panel, he also looks the most like his age. Like he looks the oldest in this panel. Yeah, and we were kids. Just forget it. I barely remember it. And he's lying as he says, I don't remember it. It doesn't hurt me. Proving is I haven't changed as much as I'd like. Based on like what we can tell the annotations, I deflect, I lie with what he's saying. He's still using words as a tool. Yep. He's still the negotiator. He's still the face of the party, so to speak, where he uses his words to get around things. And Isabel's like, no, it's not okay. I haven't forgotten, but thank you. So she's thanking him for forgiving her, kind of. And then... Angela. Boston is like, can we stop trying to bury this in like fancy party bullshit and just get started? Like, we need to talk about this. And they're like, can we talk about it? I heard Chuck stumble over the P word a minute ago. And why drag all of us into it? Why not take it to the police? So they're like, why do we even have to deal with it? Yeah. Everybody's gathered around a table and 
it's like there's a chance that Solomon's out there. They're talking about Solomon because they think that this D20, it showed up covered in blood. So maybe it's Solomon's blood. They don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a message. Yeah. And Dominic's saying, like, the second we give it to the police, they're going to take over it. We're not going to be involved. But he has to know. We have to decide if that's what we want. Yeah. Basically, that's the point he's making. We get to decide. We're going to decide what we do with it. We're either going to destroy it or we can give it to the police or we can throw it in a fire. But he opens the box and there's this D20 sitting, glowing, ominously. Mm -hmm. And Isabel says, like, I can't believe I'm 43 years old and I'm petrified of a dice. To which, this time, it's Dominic who corrects her. Die. The word is die. Yep. And I'm going to say, though, unless you know what a magical item does, don't throw it in a fire. You don't know what that will do. (laughs) You just don't know. Maybe that makes it worse. Could very easily make it worse. And this is why I think is die, the word is die, might be a magical word, because then the dice close. Yep. And we see everyone's reflection in it, and it starts to rise, and Matt says, please, no. And then they're dragged in through this portal, and you hear a booming voice says, once more, the Grand Master threatens the realm. So this gives us a hint of possibly what they heard the first time they went down. Yeah. And I would like to point out, Kieran, once again, using something very much like a god tube. Yeah, they get taken away. The Grandmaster threatens the realm once more. The land calls out for a hero. And we see Dominic is falling or floating or something in this void towards it, reaching out for the D20. His eye is glowing. The D20 is glowing. The scar in his chest is glowing. The voice asks him, is it you? Are you the hero? And he closes his fist around the D20, asking, what choice do I have? And... Then we see a scene of a world that's shaped like a D20 and five shooting stars falling to it. Yeah, the five of them, presumably. Yep. And Dominic saying, I don't want to die. The place they land is like this super high fantasy. There's these, I'm assuming they're ruins. Yeah. But there's also these giant statues of fantastical figures. They're in the middle of a plane. There's crows, they crash off of buildings and ricochet into the ground, and then all of these figures stand up out of the red sand. Saying, oh god. And it, like, reminds me a little bit of Neverending Story, the setting. Yeah. Like, a darker Neverending Story, if that's possible, because Neverending Story wasn't light. Neverending Story was super dark. (laughs) Yep. And then we see five people standing up, and everyone looks... Very similar. It's like they're LARPing. It looks like these adults are LARPing, except for Dominic, who's now a woman. Yep. Who says we're back. Earlier, they kept on almost calling Dominic Ash, his old name. Mm -hmm. And I think they purposely tried to switch to Dominic, one, because Ash can be gender swapped. It can be either. And so maybe it was a way to distance themselves. Possibly. These are their characters. We see Godbinder, Grief Knight, the Dictator, Neo, and the Fool. Mm Mm-hmm. These are the characters that they created for this game. This is what they've become. We see, like, Godbinder is standing there with determination. Grief Knight is staring at his sword, looking forlorn. The dictator is, like, just standing there, staring at her hand. His hand. That's where the D20 is. Yeah. Neo is also staring at her hand. The hand she has back now, her arm is made of metal. Yep. And then we have Chuck, the fool, staring off to the side, like... He's got a D6 hanging from his ear. Like, he looks kind of space piratey almost. He does. He looks very much like that one asshole in the bar. Yeah. In the fantasy bar. 
he could fit in like a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. He could. Except he looks like he has a sword. He does. But I feel like that could still fit in Guardians movie. True. The implication here being that these are the characters they created that Dominic lived as a woman for two years. Yeah. Like the amount of dysphoria that must have caused. Like, dang. Yeah. Being forced into a body that isn't yours and is vastly different than yours in a way that you never wanted. Because you can play a different gender than yourself and a different orientation than yourself in D&D, but that doesn't mean that's what you actually want. Right. Like, a lot of my characters are guys, but I don't know if how would I, I would have coped with if I actually had to become them, you know? Yeah. Also, a lot of your characters are halflings. Like, that also would have been something. Yeah, they're teeny. <laughs> yeah. I love halflings. What can I say? Halflings are fun. But these all look like they're human. Yeah. Matt is staring at his sword, saying, I can't do this again. And apparently Chuck is just flippant about this. He immediately is like, I'm sure it will bring you nothing but happiness. This sword. Of the grief knight. Yeah. They're immediately, like, jabbing barbs into each other. They're immediately, like, sort of referencing things. Mm -hmm. And Angela starts freaking out. She's talking about how her husband was expecting her to pick the kids up. Not expected. He trusted her. Oh, yeah. And there's a custody battle happening. So things are like high stakes for her. Yep. She might lose her kids. She might lose her kids and she doesn't have a choice. She's in this weird world and she needs to do something, but she can't say it. And so Isabel goes and looks to Dominic and says, you did this. You can fix it. Yep. And he does. And we see a word bubble come out much like his thought bubbles. And I guess this is an invocation to speak of this place is no longer shit upon the tongue. Which, if that's not a very Kieran Gillen spell, I don't know what is. That reminds me a lot of the Morgan. Yeah. Or Baff. Like, that just does. Also, this image, because we get a close-up in the previous panel, we get a close-up of one normal eye for Dominic, and then we get a look at the other one. I think this is the first time we get a look at his left eye. Which is burning. Which is burning. <laughs> Like, always burning. It doesn't burn in their hair, though. Because they keep referring to him as Dominic, so I'm going to keep saying him. Okay. Because Dominic, as far as we know, is male, and they keep referring to him as the name Dominic in here, so I'm going to keep calling the dictator Dominic. That's fair. And so, yeah, his face, half of his face is just constantly burning. Mm-hmm. And Chuck's like, testing, one, two, three. We disappeared to a fantasy realm for two years. Wow. At last, we can actually talk about it. The gas is gone. You have no idea how many times I had to write around the word Gaius. So clearly Dominic put some sort of spell on them. Yep. That prevented them from saying what had happened. To possibly protect them or who knows what was going through a traumatized 18 year old's head when he did that. Who knows what purpose that served. Maybe it was to try to keep them all out of the crazy house. It'd be normal for someone who had PTSD to not talk about what they had been through. But maybe... Them going on an explanation of what they did for the past two years in a fantasy realm with magic and who knows what else might have gotten them all in the crazy house. Very possibly. And Grief Knight, Matt, is yelling at him like, Chuck, this is not a fucking game. And Chuck, the way he's dealt with it is, it literally is. We're literally in a game. This is a game. Yeah. You have no fucking idea. This isn't some game, you sociopath. Or is about to say that. And Dominic interrupts like, Matt, that's not going to help. We know what we have to do to get home, so let's go do it. So they apparently know from the time they were here last time what they need to do to get back. 
And Dodbinder Izzy says, wow, I see cool, Dominic. Skip past the emotions and straight into another of your plans. So it sounds like Dominic was the strategist for the team. Yeah. Given the character that he made, Cleopatra mixed with Machiavelli. That makes sense. This is a very analytical character. This is a very calculating character. This is a very, you could say, potentially, like, self-serving character. Cold. Cold. Very cold. Despite being on fire. Yeah. And they're referencing, like, Izzy says, like, is it going to turn out as well as, hey, let's get everyone together with a magical D20? Which is currently floating in the air and shining still. Yeah. Despite how Isabel was, like, previously just apologizing. Yeah. Previously, this Isabel was just apologizing. And now she's immediately back to being aggressive, getting up in his face. And Dominic's trying to defend himself, like, I didn't plan this. And we should note, you mentioned before that there's a difference in the way that Dominic speaks. The dictator's voice is different from Dominic's voice. Mm -hmm. Or at least invocations are. Yeah, there's some spell, some influence that Dominic is able to do with words. Some magic. He thinks in that voice. Yes, it's very similar. So maybe it's like what Dominic actually sounds like. Who knows? Also, it's fun. On the next page, we see that Dominic in this form is shorter than Isabel. Yeah. And so Isabel's like, your plans have never gone well, have they? Sort of trying to plant all of this on Dominic. Apparently, the Gaius was his idea. The bringing down the Grandmaster was his idea. That's what you get when you're the planner is if they go wrong, it's your fault. Yeah. And Dominic's trying to defend himself, saying leaving Solomon behind wasn't. Because again, Solomon and Isabel were dating. Yeah. So clearly she's probably very affected by this. Yeah, and who knows how close or not close they got while in this game. Yeah. And Dominic reveals that because they never saw this Grand Master, whoever this is, Mm -hmm. the grand villain threatening the realm, because they never saw this person kill Solomon, Dominic was kind of hoping he might still be alive. And maybe Solomon was calling them back. Yeah. And Isabel's just kind of like, that's not what this means. Like, this thing showing up doesn't mean he's alive. It means he's dead. But as soon as she says that, the D20 flies off. As she's reaching for it. And then we go to, it looks like an alleyway or a pathway between the ruins. And a hooded figure raising its arm, saying, you're wrong, Izzy, he's alive. Referring to Isabel by Solomon's nickname. To which Dominic tells Solomon... And now we get Solomon's little story as the hand reaches out to grab the d20. The Grandmaster trapped me, tried to break me, make me hand over my die. I resisted, I escaped. And then we see him taking the die and putting it into his face with blood dripping down. Shoving it into his face. We had a war. A long war. Sounds like it was probably a 25 year long war. Yep. Finally, I killed the weakling. I took his die and added it to my own. I'm the Grandmaster now. So now he's the threat to the realm. And this is like, it's very creepy the way that he's describing it, though it kind of cuts it a little bit. He has a calculating watch on his hand. Yeah, he does. He's got a calculator watch. <laughs> like, what a nerd. I think he had that when he got pulled in. Yeah. That's a very 90s thing. Leads the question, because all of these people got transported and they have these fantastical outfits. Yeah. Does Solomon, because he's just the master... What does he look like? But we don't get to see his full body. We just get to see a close-up of his face, which is bandaged, except for the two gleaming openings where you can just see D20s in his eye sockets. That he shoved into the bleeding eye sockets where he is smiling. Yep. And you're not leaving until you finish the game. His game. 
the last time they finished the game was defeating the Grandmaster, which means do they need to defeat their friend? Seems like it, because he's the Grandmaster now. And, oh, this panel is something. And this is what we were saying, like, if you're squeamish with eyes, and there's possibly going to be more of this, judging from they focus on it, like, it's going to be a lot. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's die number one, December 2018. There's so much happening. And I highly suggest reading the letter at the end, just sort of talking about the inspiration for the comic. I feel like reading it verbatim would be a little bit much for us, so... Yeah, listening to this podcast should not be a substitution for buying these books. This should be... Yeah. In addition, this is me and Christina talking about our love and what the book makes us think and feel. We kind of read page by page, mainly so we can catch everything. But this is not meant to be a substitute for buying these books. We encourage you to buy and support these books. And also, you would miss out on some absolutely gorgeous art by not buying these books. Because, like, it's... The mood that's invoked, the feelings that are invoked through the art are just absolutely sublime. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And it's also terrifying in certain places. It is. And I am so excited for the rest of this book. Just this one issue, I'm immediately in it. I want to know what happens. Yep, we got to know. And judging from the ride that Wiktiv is taking us on, this is going to be interesting because this is him writing after Wiktiv. Yeah. And Wiktiv was... Him writing after Phonogram, and to be completely honest, Kieran Gillen has just gotten better and better with each progressive book. Yeah, it's sort of the more that he writes, the more that he learns. Yeah, and he learns how to get people in faster. Because I will say with Phonogram, Phonogram was a bit of work to get into. Phonogram was a little bit heavy-handed, and you kind of had to push through the first few chapters. Mm -hmm. Wiktiv a little less so, but it still can be a little bit a higher barrier to entry for some people, but now, like, you jump right in. You're immediately there. There's a bit of writing advice that I read. I don't remember who said it, but the goal is write a first draft, have someone read it, and ask them at what point were you in the story? At what point did you get hooked in the story? And then do your best to get rid of everything before that point. Yep. And I feel like that's what's happened here is that there might have been more before this, but this first issue, I'm immediately in. Mm -hmm. And something that the letter does mention, though, that I know Christine and I are excited about He's coming out with a gaming system based on this, and he was going to drop yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. He was apparently going to drop it with this issue, but then he realized there's spoilers up until issue five. So we're going to be getting it probably when the first trade comes out. And that's probably going to be another campaign that we're playing. Oh, yes, it is. Even if it's only a one shot, we're going to do it. There was a joke that happened when Gary Gygax died. Yeah. Gary Gygax, for those listening who don't know, is the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, or mm -hmm. not the only creator, but the main creator of Dungeons and Dragons. He's the one that wrote most of the lore. When he died, there's always this joke that you can challenge the Grim Reaper to a game, and if you win, then you, you know, don't have to die. So there's this joke that Gary Gygax challenged the Grim Reaper to a game of Dungeons and Dragons for his soul. Yep. And the joke being, of course, that any game of Dungeons and Dragons can take literal years to finish. <laughs> literally could take years campaigns go on for ages and not just because adults are impossible to schedule for but like i've been in campaigns that have been ongoing for like four years yeah i think our instigators campaign is at least three years old yeah it's pushing it like i was an undergrad when we did that campaign and now you have your master's i have my master's degree and i have a job it's been years yeah we're still playing that game i was still living with my parents when we played that game and i would drive over across the peninsula oh man nostalgia yeah that was before we were roommates yeah and so this game it took them two years to get out last time 
who knows how long Solomon intends for this game to take. Because the last time they were playing against a Grandmaster that probably didn't know them as well as Solomon does. Solomon's had a lot of time to plan this. Yep. And the back has a quote by J.R. Tolkien, which is interesting because the back of Wiktiv has a quote from the issue each time. I'm not at all sure that the tendency to treat this whole thing as a kind of vast game is really good. Certainly not for me who finds that kind of thing for only too fatally attractive. Yep. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Yep. I'm excited. I'm very excited. This is going to be good. And this also makes me excited for my own personal D&D games. If you want to watch Christina play, Christina actually streams. Yeah, me and some of my friends stream our game. It's called Dungeons and Degenerates. We stream it on Twitch. We're actually, not the time of like you listening to this, listener, but at the time of this recording, I'm going over to do that tonight. Ooh. Yeah, so we're streaming tonight. I'm very excited. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Go look up Dungeons and Degenerates on Twitch. Yep. And if you have that Amazon Prime, then use that Prime subscription to support them. I would love that. Yep. That'd be awesome. Support the baby Twitch streamers. Oh, thanks. So, uh, I'm very excited for where this is going. The next issue is not until next month. In the meantime, we'll be going back to Wicked and Divine because we still have a lot to catch up with on that. We do. But I think our next Wicked and Divine, it'll come out, I think, a little bit after Christmas, but we're going to go with the holiday special. I think it's actually coming out before Christmas. It'll come out right before or after. Oh, it's the day after. Yeah, it's going to be the day after that it comes out. We're going to talk about the Christmas special. Yeah, it'll be. Is that Boxing Day? That's Boxing Day, right? Yes. So our Christmas special will come out on Boxing Day. (laughs) Close enough. Yeah, that feels like a very British thing to do, which is appropriate. Uh, So, yep, join us next time. And thank you all for listening to us this time as we talk about something a little bit different than Wictiv. Yeah. But I think if you like Wictiv, you're probably going to like this other one. Do we have a recommendation for this week? Oh, that's right. A recommendation for this week. I kind of have one sort of going. I don't know if I've recommended it before. You do it. This week, based on the subject, I would recommend the comic Rat Queens. Yeah, that'd be good. If you want comedy in D&D, Rat Queens is good. It's mostly comedy. Occasionally it gets real dark, but it is fantasy characters in a fantasy setting and very much akin to Dungeons and Dragons. And it's very good. They act very much like D&D characters. They're all assholes. <laughs> they do. They're all dicks. And I love it. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, yep. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Rat Queens is good. In the meantime, if there is something that you notice that we didn't, if there is something that you want to talk about, if there's some significance that you have or more wild speculation, feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and feelings. Please do. You can reach out to us at once more with feelings podcast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is feelingscast on Twitter. So you can reach out to us on either platform, email or Twitter to discuss your feelings about Die or The Wicked and the Vine. We'll take both. One of the two. Yep, we'll take both. Or D&D. Tell us about your D&D campaign. Tell us about your D&D campaign. Tell us about your D&D characters. I love that crap. Yeah, tell us about your characters. Like, oh, it's real good. So good. I want to play with our editor is Eric, and I know you get to play with Eric, and I want to play with Eric in a campaign, but there's so many campaigns. Listen, he's thirsty for Dungeons and Dragons, so it's not going to be hard to wrangle him into something. Uh, he should join our Emerald City game then. We need to figure out what we're doing for that. I don't remember who's even running for that one. We'll have to figure that out. Yeah, I figure like that one needs to be a one shot or something. Who knows? All right, well, we will see you next week. Bye, Kate. Bye, Christina. <laughs>